Blue Tiger Revenge, brought to you by... Warning, you are now entering the Blue Tiger 10, the intellectual dark web of comic book podcasting. Revenge is upon you. Hit the music. Because just like the song says, we're running up that hill. That's right. We're running up that hill for another episode of Blue Tiger Revenge. I am comic book creator Tagalusha. And with me, all the way from Wenatchee, from his lonely, lonely perch in the lonely, lonely one-man hotel, he is the not-so-humble king of beards. <laughs> Big Brian Bales. How's it going, Big Brian? What's going on? Now, I'm not humble. What did I do this time? Nothing. Oh, I just okay. threw it in there. That, that sounded good. That works. Yeah. yeah. How's it going? Good. Finally started watching Stranger Things. And I have to say, I'm amazed that so many people are kind of sleeping on it. You know, people like, are sleeping on it. Isn't it? Wasn't it like the number one show for like yeah, three months? You, when it came out, it didn't quite have, you know, there was a lot of kind of like people were like, oh, I'm kind of done with it. I'm yeah, kind of, you know, sure. like it's not that it's bad. It's just people weren't, it wasn't the like frothing with anticipation. Sure. That we yeah. Yeah. Have. And, and then all of a sudden it took a song, a f- song, fr- a, a wonderful song from 1985 that everybody forgot about and <laughs> made it the number one song in the world. Yeah. And, uh, it, it just shows you how, like, you know, we talk about like, oh, this is the comics inspire culture and the culture yeah. inspires comics. I would say Stranger Things is probably, and, not, and it didn't set out to do it, but it has had such a massive impact in the last five years of pop culture. No doubt. And all there, and it just shows you when people, when creators go out to try and just make a good story, their vision. Yeah. It just goes to show like what that vision can achieve, even though like the the sole goal isn't to like, you know, be famous or to market the shit out of a forgotten hit of the 80s. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. you know, it was just to, I don't know, it's just to make something really cool and entertaining for folks. And yeah, man, we're watching it. I'm about, I think we're six episodes in. Okay. And, uh, it's fantastic. It it's is so fantastic. Good. I can't. Yeah. I can't. I, 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 anybody who tells you not, not to watch it, just ignore them. Ignore them. You know, you want to know, uh, speaking of fantastic, um, mm-hmm. I was only able to go one day this year, but uh, I hit up Emerald City Comic Con over the weekend. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. How, well, uh, how was it? I had a good time, man. It was... Uh, I got to uh, I got to check in on uh, some past guests, so that was okay. pretty neat. Uh, I got to uh, 
and then I got to meet, uh, you know, one of the one of the best uh, comic writers of all time, Chris Claremont, which that was really cool. Um, and uh-huh. he was like super nice, and uh, each, you know, when people he would answer any questions that people would ask him, he. Uh, you know, people would put down books and he would like talk about, talk about them, you know, um, which, so what, what did you throw down and what did he say? So I threw down, uh, my uncanny X-Men 268, uh, the now for, for us non super dorks. Yeah. What is that? Don't even act like that's not you and you know what it is, but it's, uh, (laughs) as you know, it's the cover, it's the Jim Lee cover with uh, cap Wolverine and black widow on it. Um, I think that was also a big deal because wasn't that the first time they kind of yeah. um, showcased that Wolverine was in World War II? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, because that was when the, his his past was still obscure. We hadn't had origin origins or any of that kind of stuff yet. Yeah, correct. And uh, and and so then I set that down, and he just kind of looked at it. He looked up at me, and he looked at like the fan, the other fans who were like waiting in line, and he was like, "Now what if?" They would have had Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, Hugh Jackman, all in a movie together. And then you add in Aquafina's Jubilee. I'm in. I'm in too. And then he threw it, he threw another curveball and he said, And how about Michelle Yeoh as Professor X? And I'm in even more. That, I mean, I'm in that's even the, more. The biggest curveball out of all of it. Yeah. And I I don't have a problem with it. I have no issue. I mean, Michelle, Michelle Yao, I think, actually might be more of an intimidating presence, maybe just given the past roles that she's had, yeah. than, uh, than Patrick Stewart. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Oh, totally. Totally. And Michelle Yeoh and what everything. Would, uh, can we just get an Aquafina 1995 um, Jubilee show? Right. No, she's probably way like too old. I don't At care. Because isn't isn't Jubilee supposed to be like sixteen or something, fifteen? Yeah, but you could you could even have it be like uh not even a nineties, but just have her be current age and then mm-hmm. uh um I mean you could I mean you could do flashbacks to when she was a teenager first becoming Yeah, but you know what I mean? That wouldn't that wouldn't be as fun. Like there's yeah. a certain amount of fun that they had, which is interesting because in the nineties I remember some people hated Jubilee. Sure. And some people loved her. And there was kind of that a weird pairing of like, why was Wolverine and Jubilee like they made made no sense in being together? Yeah. But I'll be honest. It's my favorite. It's a great combo. It's my great my favorite combo of like all the Marvel characters. Yeah, he liked really I love the two. Really took her under his wing or his claws, so to say. Yeah, it was just a weird I'm trying to even think I guess they kind of even did it in the comics too. Mm -hmm. Um I can't quite remember the comic. I didn't. It's been. A if long you time remember the comics, uh, Blue Tiger Revenge at Substack.com. Let us know, and we'll check it out. Very nice. Thank you. Very, Thank you. Very well but yeah, done. he was he was super nice. And then uh, I went over and uh, I said I said hello to uh, Joelle Jones for you. I know she's not a former guest, but I know that you, the two of you are acquainted, and uh, she's the best. And Joelle, she was like, "Oh, you know, you're Tad. probably not listening." God, he's just the worst. What a piece of shit. That's exactly what she said. <laughs> She's the best. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I miss Joelle a lot. She, she was, was super nice. She, she is uh, she is one of the rare ones that, mm-hmm. in the industry. She mm-hmm. needs to be 
beloved and protected. Yep. Like give give her whatever she needs. Yep. That's all I say. And then She's you know, the best. sitting right across from uh, from Chris Claremont was uh, Daniel Warren Johnson, who uh, you know, if you, I remember that guy. Yeah. If you if you all are familiar with him or not, I don't know. But uh, listen, DWJ, I'm gonna power bomb you through the table, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> But he was he was really nice, and uh, you know I picked up some some zines from him, so that was pretty cool. Uh, what uh, what zines did you get? So you know I had to get Old Man Skywalker. I just I had to do it. Well, and it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And then I got uh, a Green Leader, which was uh, what's that? What so it's that? another it's another Star Wars book. Um, God, he really wants to get sued by Disney, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> And then I got I, I picked up one for you, and I picked up it's called uh, Martok, and Martok uh, was a was a Klingon from uh, from Star Trek, so that one's like super bloody. He's just like a Klingon warrior. I'm in. Yeah, you you be all, all right. about it. And uh, yeah. And then finally, I went over to uh, Melissa Pagulica. I think is that uh, is that how I say her last name? I honestly don't remember Melissa. I am so it's sorry. Been a, if you're listening, it's been a while since she's been on the show. I think that's how you say. Yeah, it. but she was super Pagulica. nice and. Uh, I, I chatted with her for a few minutes. I gave uh, I gave our, uh, my niece Bear. I gave her her graphic novel, and uh, and she oh, loved it. That's great. And uh, she actually did a little sketch for me of uh, of Link. Because for those of you who don't remember, uh, we went on a like a like a fifteen twenty minute just off topic tangent about uh, Breath of the Wild when she was uh, on our show. That was what back in January? No, that I think a, that was like a while back. Yeah, that was January ish. Yeah, right around there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so, so that was, was it was a bit of it's a bit ago. Yeah, but that was a lot of fun chatting, uh, just chatting up with her, and then she did that little sketch for me, and um, I really appreciated it. And then did she have her new book out? Was it uh, Monster? Or oh, Monsters? Was it Monster Girl? I think. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I saw that there, um, and then obviously she had her other really nice graphic novel, and then a bunch of little uh, prints that she had for sale. She's just just a top notch, top notch artist and creator. So I can't and and like so nice, so nice. I know. Like that's. I'm always amazed when you meet because there's been a few times, and I won't say any names, where I've met like people I was really looking forward to in the industry. Yeah. yeah. And and I even approached him as a professional, you know, like hoping that like that would help a little bit. Sure. And I'm I was amazed at how just either bluntly like rude or bluntly like they didn't give a shit. Right. That you were like, hey man, like I your work inspired me to do this for a living. And they're just like, Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. And that's happened to me a couple of times where I'm like, and and it was at a convention like emerald city yeah. so you're and you're like dude there's people around that can hear and see you say this like really like i can understand if you said this like to be privately in a bar like i don't care man fuck off yeah yeah but yeah i'm just i'm always amazed by those individuals that that act like that mm -hmm. um so i'm glad to hear that uh that melissa's she's keeping up the the good fight yeah and you know <laughs> un unfortunately that was really it as far as uh as far as people i was able to meet and connect with uh had kind of oh. a kind of a wild weekend and i wasn't able to head back so uh i'm gonna make up for it though folks uh you're gonna see some hardcore 
uh, Rose City Comic Con coverage, uh, Maddie Kay and I were already talking. We're 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 gonna bring the heat. We are gonna bring the okay, heat because we heard that last year. And there was zero heat. What are you talking about? We had like we we had like six interviews that we brought from people. Yeah, but there was another component that was supposed to be way bigger. That oh, the video the video component did not. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So uh, anyone who knows me knows my <laughs> extremely shaky hands, and I the worst. I had a camera that did not have uh, internal stabilization. So <laughs> also. Now I'm just gonna float this out there. Yeah, and you can take this as a critique yep, or not. Yep, yep. But you're a co-host on the show, right? I am. So maybe you should be like in front of the camera interviewing people. Just say we did that too. We did that too. Uh, we we kind of we kind of switched back and forth, but uh, you know, I was my that that camera was my baby, and I didn't want to like necessarily hand it off to people, so. Yeah, Matt, your yeah. cousin, my cousin Matt, <laughs> fucking Matt. I don't, I don't trust him. Um, no, but the, just the video, the video didn't turn out. It just didn't turn out, you know. And I don't want to put something yeah. out that's bad. So no, uh, no, no, I remember we talked about yeah. it. We reviewed all those, the footage, and it was, yeah. I mean, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible, it but been. it wasn't good. And I don't want to, I don't want to put something out, even though, like, yeah, we you do this for free, we do, do this for fun, but I still don't want to put something out that's bad. You know, I, I should, I'll make the suggestion. You should do just a practice run, man. Yeah. Practice the kind of angles and shots that yeah. you want to get. Cause that way you guys were kind of figuring everything out on the fly. Yep. And, um, that is like the worst way it was to go terrible. about it. Yeah. 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 The interviews, like the were, the interviews were good, but the camera, yeah, the camera angles just didn't really work out. So, uh. Yeah, I mean, if I recall, we salvaged a bunch all the audio. We, yeah, we, we all the audio. Interview. Yeah, you can check out the Emerald yeah. City or the Rose City uh, episode from last year. It's it's a good episode. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, so we're we're game planning. We're gonna bring, get even more uh, more content, more interviews. Um, listen, I'm gonna get shot down, but I'm shooting my shot with Jim Lee. I'm gonna try and get a qu- couple of quotes from him. Yeah, a little something. He might, he might say ninety mind, ninety seconds. You know. Who knows? I, I, this this is what I would say. Ask him if it was true that in the nineties he got he had his his hand insured, and uh, a certain editor would goad him into playing basketball at, uh, at the Marvel offices. I will ask, ask him if that. That's true. I will ask him that because I've heard stories. I've okay. heard stories, okay. firsthand stories of from a certain editor uh, who. Yeah, he doesn't work at Marvel anymore yeah. like years and years ago. But I'd be curious to see if those were, were true or there was an exaggeration. But yeah, I bet they were true. I bet they were true. I bet his hand is still that, insured. Like <laughs> also, uh Dr. Wife has a suggestion for you. Oh boy. Okay. It's called use a in her and I quote, use a fucking tripod. <laughs> here's the yeah, here and here's the thing. We like I mean, it's all about how much shit you want to carry around with you because you're carrying that shit around with you all day. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, we'll uh, we've we've got a solid we've got a game plan. So, OK, we'll we'll confer and we'll uh, we're, we're going to make something happen. So but but the revenge will be at Rose City. We'll be at Rose City with a vengeance. Wow. Yeah. But I will not be. No, but you won't be. A shade of the revenge will be there. Yep. Yep. One one half of the revenge. 
one tiger claw. Yep. Can't can't have both, but we can have one. So I mean, it's all you really need, really. Yeah. 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 It'll Is be a good there, time. Uh, we we have. I mean, he's kind of he's kind of the man right now. He Coming is off a hu- huge, huge win at the. Uh, I don't know. I guess would you call it the Grammys or the Academies? Oh, comics? it hundred percent is. Yeah. 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 yeah, big Eisner win, big, big, big. Yep. But um, yeah. Uh, before he comes in, is there? Because we got a couple minutes. Is there any news or anything that needs to be covered? No, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. I just honestly, I can't wait to talk to uh, Mr. Russell here in a, here in a few short minutes, man. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, yeah, like I been, said, you know, it's been a minute and then, you know, Superman space age. I was going to say, wasn't that his, when we gave him the question, that was essentially, I think it his was answer. And I'm going to ask him about that, you know? Yeah. Um, because this might be my favorite Superman comic or up there with my favorite Superman comics. So I, I have not, it's that good I need to go pick it up. Yeah. To go pick it up. Yeah, you do. You definitely do. Yeah, I've been really, really bad. I mean, I've been reading a lot of comics, but yeah, me too. Uh, bargain bin books, my man. Bargain. Hey, bin listen, I hunted. I was on the hunt at Emerald City Comic Con, and I got, I got some good stuff. Well, lay it on us. We got time. All right. Well, I picked up a. Uh, what did I pick up? I picked up uh, Marvel Comics presents uh, Wolverine. Weapon X issue seventy two, so that's the first issue of Barry Windsor Smith's Weapon X run. Um, so now I want all. I need to get the full. It's seventy two to eighty four, um, so I want to get all of them. I also picked up uh, um, X Men one hundred and one, which is the first appearance of Phoenix. Oh Jesus! How much did that cost? We don't need to talk about how much it was. Uh, <laughs> there, and, and you know, I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to do it. And the reason, like one of the big reasons I did it was because, um, you know, uh, Chris Claremont was there. So I got it signed by him. And uh, not only was he there, but then, you know, Disney has the rights back to Marvel or to X-Men. They're going to make a movie. It's a matter of time before they make a Phoenix movie. And every time those motherfuckers make something, those first appearances just skyrocket. Oh, I mean, were those bargain bins that uh, your your fellow Longviewian yeah. uh, and I have been raiding um, the first week they did it? That's all people went through. Yeah, I mean, like, like yeah, a number one of everything. Yeah, like, like we got uh, Ron picked up the first uh, like fourteen issues of Alpha Flight. They had the all of the original Alpha Flight run, like the John yeah. Byrne stuff, which is great. It's really great. Yeah. But the first issue, yeah, like it was. You, you could know, just it's see just a where, matter like, of time. Issue, yeah, yeah. But first uh, issues have been just plucked. Hey, we've was, got uh, we've got our guest in the waiting room. All right, let's should bring we? Him in. Let's take a break and bring him in. Yeah. Okay. Check one two. And we're back with big, big winner. That's right. Mark Russell. Congratulations, man. Welcome back. But congratulations on the huge oh, win. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, uh, it was very gratifying. I have to yeah. say. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I Before we like get into, because you've got all this stuff, you got this new Superman book going. Uh, you had a project just get announced just recently. Um, what was the whole experience of winning a night? Because really, I think that like for a lot of, there's a lot of creators, including myself, that will say, oh, I don't. You know, I'm not really too concerned about the Eisners, but let's get real. Like, like that's everybody wants that kind of like industry pat on the back. Like, good job. For sure. Dude. You know, what what's that like? What's that whole experience like? Yeah, it's 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 it almost feels more like a relief than anything else because uh, this was my seventh nomination, and I think once you win one, it's okay for you to lose all the others. Yeah, because uh, then at least, you know, you are known as the Eisner winning. Really, just winning one is all that matters. Then it doesn't matter after that. Yeah. But wow. um, I did feel like that was sort of like a, uh, a gaping hole in my resume. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that's there. But, you know, I always told myself the same things. And they're, and they're probably true things that, you know, it doesn't really matter. The awards don't really matter. It's really about readers and sales and, you know, right. about like, whether or not people connect with your work mm-hmm. and, you know, or are, are seeking you out. And I tried to gauge my success that way, but that said, it's still really nice to win an award. Yeah. That was, that was for, uh, it was an AWA book, right? Yeah. Not all robots, not all robots. Okay. I always get, get that confused with, um, oh, what's the other book? Uh, yeah. Oh, what? Is it, or, or is it coming? millionaire Island? Oh, millionaire. millionaire Island. Yeah. Millionaire yeah, Island. No. yeah. 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 I always, I always get those two confused. Um, but uh, congratulations, man! That, Thank you. Uh, that did you you ended up going out to San Diego for that, right? I did. Uh, you know, and initially I wasn't going to go, but then I, you know, I, I I tried to like I knew that we were nominated, so I tried to get see if someone else from AWA was going who could maybe collect the award. And when it turned out like nobody from AWA was going, I was well, that's kind of sad. This is like. Yeah, uh, you know, it was this if we win on the off chance that we actually win this award, this would be their company's first Eisner. Yeah. And it would be mine as well. So somebody should be oh. there to collect it. So yeah. then I made the effort to go to San Diego just, you know, to be at the awards ceremony in, in case we won. So considering how much I spent going down to San Diego, uh, not planning for it, I'm, I'm awfully glad that we actually won. Definitely. <laughs> and then I yeah. ended up paying, you know, thousands of dollars for like, what amounts to a free chicken dinner. Was <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. the chicken good at least? It wasn't oh, it, was, it was excellent. It was exquisite. Yeah. I mean, was okay. Sitting with that Eisner had. next to you, you're like, this uh, is the best chicken I've ever had. Like, <laughs> Yes. No, the chicken definitely tastes better accompanied with an Eisner and you know, also uh, uh, bread. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I'm really interested to hear about uh, you know this new Superman book you've got out, uh, Space Age. You know, I I uh, I picked it up on opening day. Um, I read it. I loved it. And uh, you know, I remember when you came on uh, a couple of years ago, and um, we at, we always ask everybody if they could do any any character that they wanted, what would they do? And you would pick Superman, and uh, I I don't remember exactly the concept that you gave, but I feel like, and maybe this maybe this just this is just me, but I feel like it was along the premise of of what we're seeing right now coming up on this uh, on on Space Age. So I'd love to know kind of where this where this came from and and you know the whole process behind it. 
if you could pick any character to do a run on, like who who would it be, and uh, where where would you take that character? Uh, I would I would choose Superman just because to me he's the ultimate thought experiment, mm-hmm. and I think that this is like you know like in a way superheroes are they're sort of a, a child's power fantasy. Like, well, if I had the power that adults had, this is what I would do. This is how I would fix the world. And uh, and so I would love to do Superman uh, as that sort of thought experiment, and I would love to approach Superman as sort of like historical fiction, where it's like this is what was going on in the 1960s, and Superman's like debating about whether or not to go public with his powers while the the Cuban Missile Crisis is happening, and yeah. you know after the assassination of JFK, and about him like debating about whether or not he should, as Jor-El wanted him to do sort of stay on the sidelines and not interfere with human affairs, but at the same time watching the world seemingly slide into like a global nuclear war that's going to kill everybody and everything he ever loved and having to weigh like using his power versus not using it for the good of humanity. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. This is something I've wanted to write for a long time and wanted to do a book about Superman, which I felt was essentially about who Superman is and what makes him sort of relevant to me. And I think to our times, and I think the answer is that he's somebody who uh, is like, has the courage to be his best self mm-hmm. and somebody who is not, not afraid to be corny or to be earnest he mm-hmm. is like, and I think in these times, it's so easy to be cynical and pessimistic. It's like, he really is sort of the thought experiment that we need. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I think that uh, also, you know, you pairing uh, with the All Reds was really great. And so it's like we've got like the Portland Superman book, you know. So uh, what, what was that <laughs> yeah, like uh, uh, being able to work with them? Well, I was amazed that we were able to get the All Reds. Uh, like when we started, uh, both Brittany, my editor, and I made a list of like artists we would want to work with, you know, we made sort of like, you know, a dream casting list where anybody, mm-hmm. you know, no, no name, you know, no expense spared. And uh, like Mike was on both of our lists. So we, uh, she immediately reached out to him and, and uh, I was just blown away that he was available and willing to do it. So that was like, you know, probably my first inclination that like the stars were aligning. We got Mike Allred with, you know, right off the bat. And uh, yeah, we're, like we're both Eugene guys, which is also kind of weird because I, I had no idea at the time. Oh, that's cool. He lives in Eugene, or, or, or Eugene, Oregon, which is where I grew up. And so I went down, I hung out with him for a few days in his compound down there in Eugene, <laughs> overlooking uh, Hayward Field. And oh. it was it was like really cool seeing all these sites like grew up with because I, I went to the university of oregon i lived right around there i lived practically oh, cool. across the street from where he is uh for like like a, like a couple years oh, and wow. uh just seeing all these places knowing that that i sort of like everything that's come between now and then and talking to mike about the world and about the comic just felt like to me like like if i had if I had died after this book was completed, I would feel like that was, that was okay. Yeah. <laughs> the credits can roll now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, go ahead, Ted. Oh, it's just uh, not to be off topic, but uh, did you, uh, what did you study when you were at the university there? 
Well, my major was uh, rhetoric and communication, but mostly I studied history. That was like my okay. favorite subject. And most of my classes were history classes. And that's still what what I love today is like like reading and studying history. And it's it's something I try to like imbue in my works, my my love and appreciation of history and questions of like how you know fragile uh, our current reality is and how. Yeah. differently things could have gone but for like one little you know change here and there sort of how lucky we are still be alive frankly yeah <laughs> and, and, I, and i definitely i definitely see like obviously the history in, in this you know taking place you know where he reveals himself after kennedy's assassination and uh one of the one of the quotes in here i just i really loved and i'm i'm gonna paraphrase it a little bit but uh you know, when you when you wrote, you know, being, you know, being a hero isn't always about preparation. It's about being there. It's that you're just there. And that, that resonated to me with not only with Superman, because he clearly wasn't ready when he flew into the Cuban Missile Crisis on this. But then you had Lois as well, who was probably the one who was ready when she stepped in because she was there. And they did the you know, the Daily Planet didn't necessarily want to give her the assignment but she was the only one there. And then because of that, now she's world famous reporter. Yeah. And that's kind of my theory of history too, is that mm -hmm. it's not really that these, these great geniuses emerge and change the world so much as the world goes through great changes. Yeah. And our question, our, the question before us is whether or not we're going to rise to the occasion. Right. And the, the people we think of as the people making history are people who just chose to rise to the occasion uh, because they were in the, right time and place where they were called upon and they answered the call yeah there's a um i don't think it's out yet but there's a new um i don't know if it's a document i think it's a documentary about oppenheimer robert oppenheimer yeah it's there's a well they're making a like christopher nolan's doing a movie about oppenheimer it looks, yeah, it looks fantastic it yeah was, i'm really looking forward to that because yeah i think that's one of those people that just sort of like in a normal time and place he would have just been you know content to be a you know a physicist right forgettably mm -hmm. for a lab and probably would have had a better life if he had done so but he happened to get caught in the cross streams of history and now it's you know starring the subject of like a christopher nolan movie right right yeah i, I it's one of the few like movies that i uh I, I read something about oh oppenheimer flick and i i probably just assumed that it was a documentary but i'm always fascinated by those kind of individuals, especially that time period, because like you said, it's it's people that just happen to be there, not necessarily like they wanted. Yeah, to and be they there. were wrestling with moral decisions, you know, about technology they themselves didn't fully understand. So in a lot of ways, yeah. it's very, I think, relevant for a time when we're kind of like uh, working on things like AI and stuff. It's yeah, like, I feel like that's probably our our generation's equivalent of like the atomic bomb, where we're we're creating something we ourselves don't really understand the implications of, but we know that they're probably going to be awesome or not in the sense that they're going to be great. But in the sense right. that they're going to be really profound changes that right. are created by this. Uh, in a lot of ways, you know, in trying to like make artificial intelligence responsibly, it's sort of like asking a, a 13 year old to write a book on parenting uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, with us as the 13 year old. Yeah. So but yeah. I feel like in a lot of ways, that's the story of Robert Oppenheimer. It's like he's like trying to tackle an ethical question that nobody's ever had to ask themselves before. Mm -hmm. In that sense, he's very much like Superman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing that you did a ton of research, Cold War era 
um, for for the Superman series? Not for the series specifically, but yeah, over my life, I've just done a ton of research just because I find it fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's kind of like it's the generation that has kind of formed everything around us. Like even the fact that we're able to like do this podcast from right. three different locations on the planet. Um, at you know, that's kind of the building blocks of all that kind of stuff. It's where all that, I don't know, so much innovation, right? Right. I think in a lot of ways, we're living in the alternate universe. Like somewhere there's a much more sort of a uh, uh, reasonable, probabilistic universe yeah. where um, the Roman Empire never adopted the, a religion that was based upon this guy that they had executed, uh, <laughs> right. which was like very random. Uh, right. And, and also that we, you know, uh, if we got scientifically got to the point where we had discovered nuclear weapons, we then most likely would have destroyed ourselves with them. So I feel like in a lot of ways we're playing with the house's money or we're kind of like in this weird sort of alternate universe where we're just we just keep rolling, you know, boxcars mm-hmm. and that. Yeah. And we need to figure out a way to like survive even without these lucky rolls. I mean, we've had a number of times where we barely escaped nuclear annihilation because, you know, uh, Soviet satellites were registering like American attacks that didn't exist or American, you know, thought that like the Soviets were attacking when they weren't. And somebody just happened to intervene and stop us from engaging in full, you know, nuclear uh, exchange. And, and so I think we need to figure out a way to, to stop relying upon the incredible run of luck we've had as the human race up until this point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm guessing that's some of the stuff that maybe is going to, we can come to expect from the, the Superman series just a, a little bit, a little touch. Yeah. And I think part of it is like, I think Superman's answer is sort of like the, the this, this, um, the, this morality ethics where it's like, well, if we just uh, uh, become better people, we will make better decisions. Right. But I think in a lot of ways, like the, the, the Batman side of the equation is like, we've got to destroy the casino before the, uh, before we crap out. And so mm-hmm. I think yeah. that, that, that Batman and Superman kind of are two sides of the same coin where one's betting on hope and totally. one's betting on like sort of the uh, uh, Murphy's law. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you introduced uh, Batman you introduced Wonder Woman. You introduced uh, Green Lantern. So we're going to have a Justice League, you know, coming forward. And one of the things that you did that I thought was really neat was like uh, you changed up Green Lantern's origin just a little bit, just a little bit. Oh, um, you know, what, what, what did you do? I'll let you tell it. You probably tell it better than <laughs> I do, Mark. <laughs> well, in, in this version, like Green Lantern is still like a Hal uh, Jordan, still a, uh, like a fighter jet pilot like he was. But he ends up sort of saving the world from nuclear annihilation because he realizes that Superman, who is flying to the Soviet Union with the best of intentions to stop this like sort of nuclear showdown, he realizes the Soviets are going to interpret him flying into Soviet space as an act of aggression and launch an all-out nuclear war against the United States. So Hal Jordan, understanding the real politic of the time, has to shoot Superman out of the out of the air like an, like an incoming object, and that's the only thing that saves the yeah. human race from nuclear annihilation. Because Superman is just like an eighteen year old kid who's not ready to uh, to to really assume that mantle yet, and so it's a little so I, different. Oh, I love that, but uh, but yeah, a lot of it is about like uh, Superman being forced to overcome his naivete. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that that's kind of, I maybe I think maybe that's why, like, as a kid, I never could get into Superman is I just, he always felt kind of, I don't want to say dumb, but like they purposely made him a bit naive. And it's like, it just seemed like with that type of power, just him, like, like you said, showing up in any country would be viewed as like an act of aggression, especially since he's like, yeah, well, this know. American icon. Yeah. So yeah. Showing up in your airspace would not a human of mass destruction essentially yeah yeah like be like me be seen as like a missile coming in yeah but uh but i mean they don't know who he is at that point because they have no idea that superman exists but they just see this like object on the radar coming in hot from you know the west and they say yeah. this is probably a missile uh but uh yeah i think that what you know a lot of the superman canon kind of gets wrong is the acting him like he's fully treating him like he's fully formed like mm-hmm. he just yeah came out of the head of zoo and what i wanted to do was show the process by which he becomes superman and really in in my version it's he is he's really more the sum of everyone who's loved him you know he's influenced very much by his dad and his mom and lois lane and this is what makes him superman he's not perfect coming right. out it's just that he has to learn he, he his superpower really is like learning who to be or choosing who to be influenced by who to like learn from yeah. His greatest superpower is choosing to like take the best attributes of other people and 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 emulate them. Yeah. God, can you imagine if like a kid crash landed 10 years ago now and he's from Krypton and he'd just be like looking at TikToks and all the YouTube and all that <laughs> stuff and be like, I guess this is how do I be how do I become the best YouTuber? That's what I'm using my superpowers for. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember there was a kid like in the 80s to uh Matthias Roost. He was like a German kid who flew his like Cessna airplane into the Soviet Union, like completely unauthorized. Just like created his own little air, you know, had his own little cheap airplane and flew it like wow. underneath the radar. They just landed oh. in Moscow and they had no idea who he was or where he'd come from, and they freaked out. Like they went on high alert. You know, because yeah. German eighteen-year-old had like flown his plane without them, without wow. their defenses like being alerted into Russia, and that like, so imagine if like somebody was coming at like you know like supersonic speeds, like over yeah. the, the borders and just tearing through space quicker than anything they'd ever seen before. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That would uh, like you said, you'd have to shoot the kid out of the sky before he crossed. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you just have to. So oh, that's what would probably would happen to Matthias Roost if, like, a NATO like warplane had saw him. Hundred percent. <laughs> into like Soviet airspace, they were like, "I, I don't want to, but I've got to shoot this kid out of the sky, or there's going to be like a war." Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I would imagine, especially nowadays, like post nine eleven type stuff. I don't think any country is taking any kind of no. Like, they're no. not messing around with any of that no. kind of stuff. So. Uh, I want to ask, I know, uh, so a few months ago, uh, a, a tweet, uh, I don't remember who made the tweet a couple of years ago about an article about how Warner Brothers is, uh, they're struggling with how to make Superman seem relevant in uh, in movies. I don't know if you're familiar with that tweet or not. It was not it was, the specific tweet, but it seems to be like sort of a ubiquitous question. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or at least a complaint about Superman. It's like, Oh, this guy is so good and he's so, you know, clean and, you know, in these corrupt sort of like times, how can he be relevant? Which to me seems absurd because it's like that's precisely when somebody like this is the at their most relevant. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, you, you just answered that question. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Also, um, you know, maybe let 
somebody like yourself or somebody who actually like knows the character write the movie would probably yeah i think the key to handling superman is don't try to you know freaking apologize for him right don't try to like make him something he's not but lean into the fact that he's this incredibly potent you know symbol of hope and this great sort of thought experiment like what would the world be if we chose to be our best selves yeah and and instead of trying to make him you know gritty or as dark as the rest of the world Right. Why not try to like ask yourself what it would take to make the rest of the world like Superman <sighs> money? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Twitter, uh, I have to say I appreciate uh, your tweets, especially oh, uh, especially the ones that are directed uh, at um, the, some of the most hypocritical assholes uh, on Capitol Hill. <laughs> especially yes. why I'm on Twitter, I think. Yeah. So yeah. Like- the, ther- the therapeutic value of Twitter to me is like I actually get to like talk directly to some some of these people who are destroying oh, our civilization. Absolutely, yeah. I, like the one that you did today about the student loan stuff. I was, uh, man. I, pro- I think I took like two pictures of it. Like I'm just hanging on to this. Oh, I'm looking at it. I missed it. Somebody brings <laughs> it up. Yeah, yeah. I because I think everybody everything moves so quickly, especially the news cycle. I think people forget that like you have a lot of these individuals that say things and then like, especially like, Oh yeah, it's still unforgiveness is bullshit, blah, blah, blah. But then like the same people got like millions upon some of them billions. Yeah. And we're of, all, like, we're all basically living on the largesse of each other, which is what civilization yeah. essentially is. Is like yeah. we all bail each other out when we need it. So it's right. really hypocritical for people who have been like existing for generations off of like farm subsidies or off of like, you know, right. like, uh, tax breaks or, you know, PPP loan forgiveness. They yeah. suddenly walk about some somebody, you know, who's probably already paid like two or three times the principal on their student loan anyway. Absolutely. Getting like 10 grand knocked off. The, that's just like, you know, yeah. beyond well, the pale. It's like uh, uh, we affectionately call my wife, Dr. Wife on here, uh, just so we don't reveal her actual name. Uh, but she smart. said, yeah. And she goes, uh, she goes, yes, God forbid, um, you know, we subsidize investing in the education of our youth right. for um, the next generation for everything because, you know, educated. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of this sort of, personal responsibility nonsense which they don't really believe i think it's like sort of masquerading for it's like like an organized attack on education because they realized education is sort of the antidote to like them being able to like like um bloviate on youtube or you know like Mm -hmm. like fool people with a subpar podcast i think that that for a lot a big chunk of the country like politics has basically become like the uh entertainment of the uh, of the subpar yeah yeah and I think that a lot of people realize that the more educated uh, the populace becomes, the, the, the less attractive they are. Uh, oh, and and I, sure. I think that you know, this is what you know we mean by a liberal arts education. The Romans created the term liberal arts education, meaning these are the things you need to know if you're going to remain a, a free people. Mm-hmm. You know, liberal right. means free. Is like you need to know like rhetoric. You need to know when somebody's lying to you. You need to know what your rights as a citizen are. Otherwise, yeah. you know, you're really fit for nothing but slavery. And I think this is what they, the world, why they are, I feel so threatened by education because it makes people much less gullible. It makes people yeah. much less, it makes people much more difficult to turn into peasantry yeah. when yeah. they understand their rights and they understand how to tell when somebody's lying. To them. I agree. Especially when you observe the, the source of the people that are, you know, like attacking 
this and that, you know, these individuals were kind of talking about without just all out saying it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're all I mean, pretty much through a, through a person like snake oil salesman. They're all like, <laughs> yeah, if, absolutely. You know, metaphorically, if not literally selling like, like, like male enhancement supplements or, you know, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the dream of nationalism, they're selling something which is yeah. like only ever never really healed anybody. Right. Anybody. Yeah. That's the thing. I'm always like, um, I, you know, again, we were talking about actually right off your tweet. It was just one of those like, it's the same group of people that are they're always the loudest, but then long term they're always wrong about yeah. social issues, about science, about all these different things. But yet for some reason, they just are able to like skip on down the road or float on yeah, down the river to that, the that next the, thing to the, scream the, about. The fact that there's a large portion of our society which is like sort of willfully resistant to education and the fact-based view of reality is the only thing that makes people who have been wrong about like the war in Iraq and then wrong about like uh, global warming and then wrong, uh, uh, you know, about Putin, wrong about like tax breaks to like <laughs> yeah. yep. billionaires, wrong about every major social issue of the last 40 years. The only thing, the only way they can have still have credibility with, you know, with a lot of people is by these people just not understanding like yeah. how wrong they've been about everything or not caring. Yeah. 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 That's, and I, I guess it just, as I get older, you know, as a kid, you never really think about it. But then as you get older, you're slowly like, I guess, immersed more and more. And it's that thing where you, I, I know people that just, like you said, they, they pick their side and they settle to it and they just right. stay like, well, whatever they say, that's what I go with. And then I guess I, like, personally, I find myself going like, yeah, but it's it's bullshit. It's like it yeah. stinks of bullshit. Like, how do you not see this? Like, exactly. And I think that a lot of it is just like, you know, they, they, they say that people don't remember what you said, but they'll always remember how you made them feel is that this yeah. is what the bullshitters kind of rely on. Yeah. It's that like, well, I made this person feel I made this person feel special. I made this person feel like angry. Uh, yeah. Uh, and if as long as they don't actually look into it too much or like see if, you know, what I was about, you know, what I was saying about Dr. Seuss being canceled or what I was saying about like critical race theory, as long as they don't look into that, they'll just remember yeah. the the way they felt when I was talking about it. Yeah. Which is why, you know, it's it's all sort of, you know, the Wizard of Oz telling people not to look behind the curtain because yeah. without that, they they can make people feel whatever they want. Um, have you, have you ran into, um, just, uh, cause like your books usually have some really great message and they also mm -hmm. parallel like these, these realities, re the reality of the social issues that we deal with, you know, culturally day to day. Um, have you ran into any kind of like pushback, uh, on your books or anything like that? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I do pretty much every book I run into some pushback, but that's okay. Cause you know, I, my, my theory is that I write for the people who enjoy my work. Right. So yeah. if, if 99% of people are either indifferent or downright hate it, that's okay. Cause 1% of the people who love it are enough people to, to, you know, make a living off of it. You know, they, right, it's yeah. like, it's like, you don't need everyone to like your work. In fact, if you have everyone sort of like, okay with it, you're probably writing something really mediocre. Uh, so it's better to just write what you really care about. Just assume there's enough people out there like you that, they're they're going to be your readers and not have to worry about like pushback i mean i just expect pushback because yeah. it's the natural way of things sure sure uh yeah i mean uh yeah i it seems like that's probably the best way to look at it because i know like as a creator like i've been 
uh it, you know i guess i also look at coming out from like an artist i'm always afraid that people are gonna look especially people in the industry are gonna look at my work and be like eh, it's not that good yeah. you know <laughs> no, that, oh, it's <laughs> better to write something i think just from a, even from a purely economic standpoint it's better to write something maybe two people like and eight people hate than yeah. it is to write something that 10 people are kind of like yeah whatever you know sort of meh, yeah yeah because then you're gonna get yeah. those two people who love it who buy it and then tell all their friends who who would also be like-minded to buy it as well and then that yeah you know, creates you're talking effect. about two sales versus zero sales yep absolutely like everyone's meh about it no one's gonna buy it yep yep yeah I mean, and it seems like the problem is, um, at least, I don't know, I know Brian and I complain about this once in a while, um, like with just like the the casual pop culture fodder, you know. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the shows these days, they they kind of, they, I guess they boil them down so that they try and are, are mellow enough where they appease everybody. And I kind of think that that's kind of maybe starting to go out of the way where it seems like some of these newer shows, whether like Netflix or some of the new Amazon yeah. series are just kind of like, now this is we're gonna do what we want to do the story like we were just talking before you came on we were talking about the new Stranger Things season, yep. and um, uh, how it's become like this cultural phenomenon, uh, like the Kate Bush song for example right like I can't I, for me it's more impressive than the fact that this song from like 1985, you know a couple like a month ago was the number one song like on the planet yeah and it'd yeah. be kind of like I don't want to say forgotten but it'd been mostly forgotten you know like it wasn't like something I, had, was, I don't to be honest when I grew up in the 80s I never heard that song I don't think until <laughs> I started hitting the rounds again I was like 14 in 1985 and I don't remember that song at all yeah I've seen, yeah there you go and now it's like huge and it's like kind of given this artist like this but I was uh, earlier today, I was talking to a filmmaker friend of mine and he was saying like, yeah, see, that's what shows that like these guys were like, they were making the show, the creating the thing they wanted to create. They yeah. were like, they weren't in a marketing room trying to figure out like, okay, what's going to be the next thing where we can make so much money off of this song or whatever. Right. Like yeah. If they'd been in a, like a boardroom with a committee making decisions by committee, they probably would have chosen, you know, like a Huey Lewis song or, you know, like, right. uh, or, uh, um, uh, the the aha song or yeah so, yeah yeah you know, the, you know the uh yeah I, I i think that there's really no point in trying to make the most mediocre decision possible it's something that you know they actually had a term for it in like the 70s when there were only three channels on tv they called yeah. the, the, the goal of like each network was to put on least objectionable content <laughs> uh meaning that if you just don't piss people off you're going to get about a third of the American viewing public. So that's when you get like all these like sitcoms, you know, like happy days or yeah, really right. soporific sort of like middle of the road shows. But, you know, we have so many options now because of streaming and because of the internet, yeah. that that's just seems like a, you know, not a very smart approach. That, that sounds like Warner, what Warner brothers is doing right now. <laughs> yeah. Now you want to do something you know, that will capture people's attention that will stand out. Yep. Yeah. And, and find your audience. It's really kind of a golden age for people who want to make smart, yeah. you know, yeah, it's uh, like a, selective it's like content. Soft pitch is over. It's like everybody wants, like, give yeah. us what you got. Give us the curveballs. Give us the change-ups. Yeah. Uh, is this something you ever thought about doing, uh, writing for television, movie? I don't know. Now that you're, now that you're the big uh, the Eisner, big, the Eisner Award yeah. winner, yeah, I imagine you It's you're a probably, small uh, community of, like, thousands of creators but uh (laughs) but yeah you know i've i've um got a signed a marketing agreement 
for uh, our comic series uh, Second Coming. So they're trying to oh, turn wow. that into a TV show. Awesome. Like oh, congratulations. Thanks. And I've, I've written like a pilot episode for it and everything. So I'm hoping that something becomes of that. But yeah, I would definitely be open to like having like uh, one of uh, our comics turned into a, a TV show or movie. I, I think the so, like some of these adaptations, especially like you look at like um, – like Invincible is a great example. Like, man, it seems like they stayed real true to the comics. The creators were involved in it, and like, it's just as enjoyable um, on on screen as it is reading it. I felt, you know, yeah, like I, I thought agree. it was a really nice transla- transition from you know print yeah. to. I think I always screen. enjoy those adaptations more when I feel like the creators are intimately involved. Yeah, like something like like the Boys or the Sandman. I think were really good. Oh yeah. Because yeah. like they they actually talk to the creators about the, the you know the, the the soul. I mean, obviously it's a different medium, so there's going to be some big changes. Sure, it's not the same experience as a comic, but the key is to get the same sort of sensibility, same sort of spirit from comic, um, and have that transfer over to like TV or film. And I think the only way you do that is by having you know the creators sort of involved in talking about it, like as opposed to just some like you know hired gun screenplays in the last couple of years, none of which they care about. Right. Just sort of hammering out their their two cents, their two cent version of what they think you meant. What um one of my first jobs it was for I think Dynamite, they needed someone to crank out a full twenty two page comic in like six days. And uh I was like the only guy that was dumb enough to say say yes to do it. And because I was like just I wanted to get something on the shelf published right yeah and so i did it it was you know was it to be good right and um i remember steve lieber came to me afterwards like literally the next day he's like hey don't ever say yes to this again you don't want to be the guy that just they call in to hammer something out because he's like no one's ever going to care about your work and you're not going to care about your work you're all just going to be like a speed freak just to you know and i was like Oh, he's a hundred percent right. Because I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't even remember what I drew. Uh, you know, like per day. Oh, you were just, drawing. I thought, yeah, you know, six days writing, which no, know, was like a little bit of a rush, but not. Terrible. No, I was but penciling and inking. Insane. That seems insane. Yeah, yeah, like that's why he was like, "Don't ever do this again." Oh my you're, god, I can't believe. Gonna, oh yeah, and the worst part was is I had to get the previous artist uh, to like actually call up the company because they weren't going to put my name on it because it was like what? the last issue in like wow. a five issue series if you draw like a 22 page comic in six days they should put your name on like every issue every day right? build a statue of you <laughs> yeah yeah no it you know it was just i think it was one of these books that like it wasn't really selling well they were ca- they were canceling it the artist wow. had already moved on to uh dc at the time i think and so, and like I said, I was only, I was, I'd, I'd only been, I was, I was ghosting for people. That was it. I had nothing on the shelf. So I was just like, yeah. I gotta, I gotta get I this. I feel like, there, yeah, in a lot of ways there's sort of two kinds of comic book creators. There's the mercenaries and the suicide bombers, you know, the mercenaries <laughs> are, are people who you can sort of hire to come in and do like, like a seamless, you know, Spider-Man or a seamless, you know, uh, like uh, swamp thing or whatever. But you know they they're trying to to look and sound like a, another artist or another writer mm-hmm. to get work. They think, well, I'll just do something that's a passable 
version of this character, but yeah. I'm not bringing a lot of myself to it. What I'm really bringing is my respect for this, yeah. this intellectual property, not so much my own unique vision. And then there's the suicide bombers who, no matter what you hire them to write or draw, they're going to do it their way. And it's going to be about yeah. themselves and the things they care about. And they don't yeah. know how to do anything. They're not very skillful. Maybe they just know how to like blow up and leave their guts all over the page. <laughs> And to me, the suicide bombers are always more interesting, and they're the only ones yeah. I care about, both as artists and writers. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. I think I spent a lot of my probably first, I, I would say I spent the first few years, uh, mercenary, and I probably still go into mercenary mode once in a There's while. There's a lot of people now. who have, you know, that's that's where most of the work is, I think. That's yeah, and I, I but I'm at a point now. Shoot off a few pages, and then I'll disappear. And you'll never know I was there. Yeah, yeah. Where I like now, I'm I'm definitely I'm I'm with you. Like I think the whole uh, the suicide bomber is the way to go. Even if like people don't like it, at least it's loud and it's you. Like it's you've, you've done something that only you could do. You know, you've left your mark on the page, whether people like it or not. Yeah. Yeah, def oh, yeah, that's such I love I love that analogy. Can I use that analogy in the future, please? <laughs> yeah, you might want to be careful which company you use it in because you know, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's a little that's... it's a little untoward, but uh yeah, but yeah, but for lack of a more deft and polite uh metaphor, that's kind of one I use. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a it's an accurate like they both have their value, but it's like what do you what, yeah. you know what do you want to be like um like i right. they're having a big bargain the, there's only one major comic shop up here and they'll they we get like a lot of collectors in the state of alaska and so every year they buy people's collections throughout the year and then they consolidate them and do like a back issue bin sale and for the whole month of august and so you can go in there and you can get all kinds of like old stuff from the 60s but like whole runs you know like whole runs of stuff and uh the most daunting thing about there, I was standing in there with some, with a buddy of mine and I was going like, Holy crap. Like we're literally looking at like hundreds of people's careers. So this is just like tons and tons of work. Yeah. And so much of it is yeah. what you were talking about. Merce is a lot of it's just mercenary stuff where it's like guys where you have a few guys that stand out where you find their stuff. And you're like, Oh wow. I can't believe I found this guy's work, you know, like a Mignola or Travis Sheree or something. Yeah. But then the rest of it, you're like, I don't, I don't know who any of these people are. Yeah, or somebody is like, this is what I've been doing for the last thirty years, and it's indistinguishable from what any of these other guys do right. for the last thirty yeah. years. And that's that's got to be terrifying, I think, to make that realization when it's too yeah. late to do anything about it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, no, I, I that was kind of the one thing I was like when I was sitting there, I was like, I was like, oh man, like I don't want to be like a guy that whose work ends up in this one of these bins, just kind of forgotten about you know what i mean like that's yeah. that's terrifying yeah. that's terrifying yeah <laughs> so you have a uh a new on that note yeah, yeah on that right. note you've got another book coming uh I, did i see that you had something announced just recently like you had a book announced uh, uh yeah like a couple ago? things uh i have a book with uh a blaze orancia studios about the first man mission to mars cool uh, about them they, they're sending like a terminally ill man to mars because they don't have to bring him back and it's written sort of in, in diary format on this guy's trip to mars like about all his regrets and about how the human race is dying and that's why they're sending him to mars to claim the uh the fossil fuels that are underneath yeah. the surface uh that's called traveling to mars that was announced recently and also the uh the next season of uh, billionaire island uh awesome. that's right. another 
season of Billionaire Island with Steve Pugh about the aftermath of the uh, the destruction of Billionaire Island, which happened in the first the first volume. Right. That, and I is, think both of those come out in November. Ahoy? Is that Ahoy uh, yeah, Billionaire? Yeah, that one's Ahoy. Uh, and, and yeah, it comes out in November. So a few can months. You, uh, if you don't mind, can you uh, tell me a little bit about Ablaze? I've only read their, uh, they've got that like uh, Conan series that they've been doing where they've uh, like a caught like the Vatin run. Uh, he did a couple yeah. issues. Um, to be honest, and, I don't know too much about Ablaze. I, okay. I work mostly with uh, with uh, Davide uh, for Rancia, which is a studio out of Italy. Okay. And okay. they found Ablaze as like sort of the publisher. Okay. Um, but okay. everyone I work with is in Rancia, which, you know, they've been really nice to work with. And Roberto Melli's the artist, another artist oh, out wow. of Italy, is doing some amazing work on the series. And especially considering I'm having him kind of draw in two different styles because there's, you know, his style, which is really sort of precise and clean. And then there's also the style of the guy, the main character, Roy, who's on board the spaceship. Because a lot of the drawings are just like his sort of drawings. In oh, interesting. Journal. Yeah. So he has to draw on this like so he has to purposely draw this more amateurish, much less clean <laughs> style for when Roy's drawing. Oh, that's cool. I like so, that. So um your your research guy, your history guy, uh what kind of um I'm guessing you had to play some speculative science because we're still probably realistically probably another generation away from uh, reasonable travel to Mars. Like it's just it's yeah. it's this, right this, now this, the Right, it's, it takes it's place the physics like, of travel. It's just it's not feasible at the moment. Yeah, it's, right? no, it takes place about thirty years in the future. Uh, okay, and to, to give you some extent, like idea, of like you know how far we are from that. It's like there is at that point like a space elevator that will take you to an orbital platform, a geosynchronous platform above the Earth. To that makes space travel much cheaper, much easier because yeah. you don't have to like achieve escape velocity from the earth's gravity every time you want to leave the planet you just right. ride up this elevator and then they could construct like a spacecraft up at the top of this this platform in space and then it's just much easier to power that spacecraft from like space from one point in space to another point in space because you don't have to like have all this fuel to like yeah. escape the earth's gravitational pull right. so it it uh yeah it, it probably was some of the most research I've ever done for a comic before because I had to research a lot of the science about traveling I, to Mars. I talked to a guy a couple of years ago who said he was, uh, um, uh, he had worked with NASA and he said that they have the technology to build a space elevator now, that that's something that they can do. <laughs> we're, weren't yeah. we going to get him on the show? Like that was something that we were we, trying to we do. We were, for a, it didn't work out. Second. Yeah. Yeah. He couldn't, I mean, I, he couldn't do it. Yeah. I think know. that's something which we should, or, you know, maybe when we're less sort of like poisoned by, you know, global nationalism, you know, you know, when nationalism is no longer like this cancer that's running through the, the planet. Yeah. And we're able yeah. to like work on like multilateral projects again, that, that should be probably the first priority of like our sort of international space travel is building a space elevator. So it'll make all other space travel yeah much easier much cheaper and yeah. will allow for you know bigger projects like colonization colonies on like the moon yeah. and mars yeah it happens right, much more cost effectively because right now it seems like they're trying to kind of go into another i don't want to say it's more of like an economic cold war but in terms of like yeah when, when you got like 
not only nations competing against each other, but also, you know, companies competing against the nations they don't pay taxes to. It's like, you know, you're, you're, you're the scope of what you can accomplish is much smaller because you got everybody kind of starting from ground zero and nobody cooperating. So we're only ever going to get like sort of dick shaped Elon Musk rocket (laughs) getting into space. As long as we have this model where, you know, it's like, the nations are all competing against each other and in the, the corporations aren't contributing their fair share to like international space travel. It's always just going to be a vanity project. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. very, very low bar sort of ambitions. If you ever want to actually get to Mars or build like colonies or a space elevator or something like that, it's going to require, you know, a singular vision with a lot of different cooperating partners. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it's it's interesting. Um, I mean, especially like what you said, like the the dick shaped rockets of Elon. Like, yeah, I don't think most people like a lot of people think that that's like innovative technology. And I, yeah. I guess it is yeah. updated. But that was all NASA was doing all that stuff. NASA and I think they're um, doing shit that we were doing 60 years ago. Uh, yeah. Like, like Jeff like Bezos, the self, Elon Musk. Yeah, the self-landing like, rockets they were doing in like the early 90s. You can watch no, the if they really cared about colonizing yeah. Mars, doing these really grand, ambitious things in space, they would be just paying their fucking taxes right? You know? <laughs> yeah. because yes. you know as as cool as it might make you know these billionaires feel to like go in space for like five or six minutes we're never going to get to like mars or beyond if we're if every company is starting back at, you know square one right we need to be yeah. building upon the the infrastructure and the the uh the progress that like nasa the russian space program have already made and, you know, sort of like joining what we both do well together and a massive cooperative effort for going to like actually see the human race on another mm-hmm. you know, planet. So in in the in this new book, uh, how do you um, what innovation did you use for the actual travel? Because I know that like being in zero gravity for however amount of time it takes or are they using or they've got some type of new rocketry like warp drive type stuff or I, have, I know it's not a warp like, drive but they have like uh, an artificial gravity okay. and uh one of the things that which makes is this, huge yeah so this guy can walk around he doesn't he's not floating around and and one of the things that like uh makes him sort of an attractive candidate for this flight because even though he's terminally ill uh, because this artificial gravity and the otherwise weightlessness of space, it, it has a sort of chilling effect on this, on this cancer that's eating him alive. Oh, that, interesting. Like, the cancer stops growing while he's in space. Wow. Because uh, oh. it, it like, needs gravity in order to, uh, to, to met- metastasize. So it's like they've taken him in this near-death position. And then for like the six months he's traveling to Mars, he's not getting any worse. But then the second he gets back on Mars, the, the cancer is going to continue eating them alive so no one's too concerned about like how long he survives on mars they only want him to like survive long enough to like get there and sort of claim the resources of the planet on behalf of this company right wow what uh that wouldn't surprise me if that was real life (laughs) no yeah that could easily happen um Uh, what was your uh I mean, like, I don't really know much about your uh, creative process. I don't think we've ever really talked about that. But how did you come up with that construct of uh, the, the the cancer angle for the the main character? I had this is like all based upon like a like a short story I'd written like before I was even in comics, like probably okay. like, like ten or twelve years ago. I, I written the story, but it's it's something I've always wanted to turn into 
a graphic yeah. novel and and now i get the chance but but really it's sort of a meditation on the the last days of human civilization how we've chosen to sort of squander our last chances to actually save ourselves on just sort of uh on on quarterly bonuses and you know uh burger king yeah yeah i uh yeah man i there was a my sister and i went to a family reunion a couple years ago and um one of my cousins he's a very nice guy but he's very much like a you know get what you can get type of guy if you get and he works for uh he's like a yeah. pharmace, he's a pharmaceutical salesman I think and, that's sort of the consensus now. It's like we all kind yeah. of understand left and right. We understand the world's ending. The difference yeah. is the rights, like, or, you know, like the billionaires are like, well, just pillage what you can now. It's the whole country yeah. and then the whole world is going to be I mean, burst I, into flames become another generation. Yeah. And it, it was, I, I always really liked the guy and I still like him, but he said one of the most disheartening things, especially from like just a, a human standard. He goes, like, well, you know, it's not that we couldn't like cure a lot of these diseases and stuff. It's just economically, like everybody yeah. benefits more from a sick, sick society. Yeah. And I just was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, if, if, you know, you may have the drug to cure this thing, but if you just like pat it along that way, you know, yeah, everybody just makes more, you know, everybody's able to benefit and the whole, everybody except, you know, like I really want, I didn't do it. Cause it was like, you know, grandmas and grandpas, everybody's around yeah. and stuff. You don't want to upset anybody. But the whole time I'm thinking like, yeah, except for the person who's dying of the disease. Right. Like, and their family the and humanity? loved ones. Yeah. Yeah. You just right. like this whole idea stems from just so you can have a boat and a second house. Like, what are you talking about, man? Like, yeah, yeah. The biggest sort of like, uh, I think mistake that we've made that, um, it's probably condemned us all to a fiery death is that at some point the institution we created to serve people, uh, the flip, the switch inevitably flips so that it's the people that have been created to serve the institutions. So yeah. it's like healthcare no longer exists to like heal people or make them healthy. People exist to make the, the healthcare industry, you know, viable and profitable. Oh. Yeah. I mean, like uh, th that was, um, this whole last year, that's essentially like with my wife's uh, aneurysms, that's essentially what we went through. That was like the yeah. probably the most disheartening thing is the whole time is like not only were they trying to she worked for the you know a hospital, not only were they trying to deny any kind of like disability or, you know, even though it's like. Right. It's like the student loan program was, yeah. was created to, yeah. you know, help students be able to go to school. And now that switch is flipped. People largely see the, you know, people that go to school and borrow the money is as like necessary to keep the lending institutions right like profitable or you know it's like yeah. the, the loans exist not to serve the students but to uh serve the companies that that, that issue exactly the loans. what it is yeah and yeah. and this is the thing we'll either reclaim you know our proper place as the um as the beneficiaries of our human institutions or we'll just like continue to pound ourselves into extinction yeah thinking, you know serving the, these institutions that that won't exist when we're gone oh yep thank so, god for comics we have some right. escapism that's so, all i can say i have a, a do you want to play a little game oh boy like a writing game would you be sure. into that okay 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 do you remember uh there was a show in the 90s late 90s that launched the whole like adult swim thing on cartoon network called uh space ghost coast to coast Did you oh yeah. yeah yeah i love space ghost it was great right 
Okay. I was always curious. Uh, and this has probably been the last couple months. I keep thinking about this. Like if, if they brought back space ghost now, but it was like, you know how there's the whole, I don't know. It seems like the whole talk show scene has just kind of like, I don't know. It seems desolate. Like people just, it's not like how it was back in the, yeah. the day with like Leno and, uh, it'd have to be, a, it'd have stuff. to be a take on impulsive. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'd be curious. What would your take be if say, you know, DC came to you and was like, Hey, we want to do something with space ghost, but like space ghost coast to coast. Like he's been off the air for 20 years. Uh, it's space ghost. So he's probably a little crazy, you know, he's probably like, how would you maybe approach that? I was just curious if that's uh, if you had something that you'd come up with off the top of your head or no. Yeah, I think one of the things I liked about Space Ghost is that I was not at all convinced that the the answers they had recorded from people giving were to the same questions that Space Ghost was asking. Yeah. So I kind of like that approach where you just like have you just aggregate these like sort of normal interviews with like celebrities and musicians and stuff. And uh, and then you just sort of like cross hatch them with like you come up with like questions that make the answers more interesting and funnier depending <laughs> yeah. on what question they're the answer to. And, and you treat sort of like Space Ghost sort of like I guess what what Clickhole is, where they just make these celebrities answers seem really bizarre and weird based upon <laughs> the question that you've sort of like chosen to to pair them with. Yeah, that would be my take my my approach to Space Ghost. It's like we're gonna. Oh, turn it into like this sort of comic based, you know, click hole. I would. Yeah. I just, love I, I'm, I'm amazed in this day and age that it hasn't had a resurgence. Like it just seems like it could come back and do really well under yeah, the right. Like, so far ahead of its time, but yeah, it seems like the, the, the humor is very prescient. Yeah. In terms of yeah. Like a lot of it is like very, seems much more relevant to like the, the TikTok YouTube age. Than yes. Cable TV in the nineties when it started. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, I remember the, uh, the first few times I saw it, I was like, I don't, what is going on? What is this? Like it, yeah. cause you, it wasn't like you said, it was so bizarre and yeah, I, I think you're a hundred percent. Down bitey like, and like short and abstract and weird. They would, I think would play much better. Like sort of the short, like two, three minute, like YouTube yeah. or, you know, sort of like TikTok or vines or whatever that it would as like a half hour tv show yeah. they just didn't have any other sort of like framework in which to create to, right to do a tv show back then and they just brutalized people too like i mean oh like the the disrespect that they right. would show some of these celebrities <laughs> you just don't see that anymore it was so great uh all right um well you're getting starting to get low on time yeah uh why don't we get into um why don't we get into what we've been reading? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, cool. Uh, Mark, you're, you're our guest. Uh, oh, boy, on the spot. You, on the spot. You're on the spot. What what have you been reading? Uh, any comic book stuff? Um, I've been reading comics, and i got to be honest. Same. I'm curious to see what you've been uh, checking out these days. Yeah, I've been reading uh, some comics and some non-comics. Uh, I've been reading... Uh, uh, Tom King's Human Target series, but trying to catch up with that. Yeah, it's great. Oh. It's just a beautiful comic. Yeah, uh, anyway, the, the coloring I think is just amazing in that comic. Hundred percent. I feel like, even though it's extremely well written, I, I feel like I could also just look at it for for hours. Yep. Um, also, uh, 
reading uh, uh, Dan Jones's book, not a comic book, about the Plantagenets, the sort oh. of the old English dynasty. Yeah, um, which is really fascinating, and I, I I feel like in a lot of ways I'm reading the urtext of Game of Thrones. I feel like there's a lot of like like um, George R. R. Martin probably stole a lot from like the history of the Plantagenet dynasty. And writing that, <laughs> it, it's just sort of fascinating to me to look back through time to see what, what both like. This is what I really like about reading like uh, history, especially history that goes back a ways. It's like seeing both how we are very different and also the same as people in the past. And I think that you know people are generally motivated by the same things, but they are uh, the, the the cultural the cultural expressions of of those things are radically different. And, uh, yeah. and so I'm really enjoying that too. Nice. I like it. I like it. That's awesome. Bri, what do you got? Yeah. So I'm also, uh, reading a, uh, uh, Tom King comic. So I just picked up, uh, Batman one bad day, the Riddler by, uh, Tom King, Mitch Gerads. I've heard nothing but good things about, it's, about that. Yeah. You would, you would be correct. It like makes Riddler scary, which I think is, no. which I think is really yeah, cool. Not easy. Yeah, yeah, no, not easy at all. It makes he doesn't him, have the the question mark suit anymore. That's he not... does not like the the comic <laughs> opens with him just randomly shooting somebody, walking up to a camera and holding a sign for Batman, basically like, and so he's in the whole time he's in Arkham, he's just trying to talk to Batman, and Batman's like, he's not worth my time, and so he like navigates the deaths of like a bunch of Arkham guards. He even hints that he's behind. Um, uh, the the killing joke of the Joker, you know, coming and killing or shooting uh, Barbara Gordon and paralyzing her. Um, he hints that he's behind oh. the planning of that because he's like, Joker's not a planner. Where do you think he got that from? He tells that to Jim Gordon, uh, which is oh, wow. really cool. I highly recommend checking it out. Um, and then I just picked up uh, today, you know, as I'm in my travels um, for work, I always stop at a local comic shop wherever I'm at and see what I got. So I stopped at Galaxy Comics in Wenatchee, Washington, and they had uh, issue one of uh, the new Predator series by, that Marvel's doing um, cool. by okay. Ed Brisson, Kev Walker, and Frank uh, uh, Dar- Dermata. I think that's how you say his last name. But this is okay. uh, this is just like a futuristic book about uh, takes place 30 years from now when humans are able to travel intergalactically. Um, and it acknowledges nice. it acknowledges um, Predator, Predator 2, Predators, and then the one that came out a couple years ago. Um, but uh, it's about a girl whose family was killed by a predator. So she's hunting them, trying to find the one who uh, who killed her family. So it's pretty cool. Oh. Uh, I definitely, okay. definitely highly recommend. The art's great. I love the writing. It's it's great. It's great. Definitely check it out. Tad, what okay. is on your nightstand? So because I've been digging through the bargain bins. Yeah. There, I was a big Captain America guy as a kid, mostly because Cap there was Wolf. a series. Like, well, Cap Wolf, yeah. But there was a series of Cap that I never – I was never able to get my hands on just whatever. Uh, it was like 1990, 1989, somewhere around there. But they did this series called Streets of Poison. And it was definitely, I'm thinking, like on the whole, like, Dare. coming off of the war. Yeah, the whole war on drugs, right? And uh, so basically, it's like meth has been introduced. Some new strain of, like, methamphetamines have been introduced 
under the streets and uh, there's an explosion and cap gets exposed to it and he just like as it's in his bloodstream he just becomes more and more aggressive and crazy and has zero patience for people and kind of becomes almost like he's a a good guy but he's like super arrogant where he's saying you know running around he's, he stopped shaving so he's all grizzled and he's just around and going, going things like i'm captain america you can't you can't fight me go ahead. yeah it's very it's very bizarre yeah um, <laughs> but uh it's definitely captures it's weird like as a kid i wanted to read it because it had like you know just like crazy kind of like violent stuff on the covers like it had like you know like stuff like this popping up that i mean those covers as a kid i'm like oh man i gotta read that that's gonna be crazy um and you know like he cat beats up daredevil like really just late puts the house on him yeah like it's pretty all because he's you know strung out and it to it of course because it's you know old school comics they're like well we have to do a total body blood infusion so they replace all of his blood with just normal whatever type o blood uh you know and uh it is interesting like I, I enjoyed it for what it was, but it was more of like a reading it now is more of a commentary on like, I guess how they were trying to influence kids um, and how they were trying to educate them through comics, you know, the comics code authority and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, if you see a big cloud of meth floating around in the air, kids run, don't run, run into it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah. run into it. Because if you do, you'll just start beating the shit out of everybody yeah. and being an <laughs> yeah. asshole about it. Yeah. 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 Or if uh, you do start beating the shit out of everybody and start being an asshole, it's probably because of some meth you came into contact with in the air. Don't worry about it. It's not your your fault. Yeah. Because there's always a a blood infusion waiting. That's right. You can get a total, total blood (laughs) infusion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's weird too, because the whole redeeming thing was like at the last couple issues, Cap has the last issue in the series is great because Cap has to like fight crossbones. But he doesn't have the confidence of be like the super strength. He's like, well, I'm just now a really a guy in really good shape. Can I still beat this guy? <laughs> and so they have this big fight. And while that's going, they parallel it with the Red Skull is the one who's infusing like methamphetamines into New York City. Of course, the it's Kingpin, the Red Skull. And the Kingpin doesn't like it. So they have a throwdown, a fight. And if Kingpin wins, Red Skull has to take his drugs and and leave town. He can't he can't run them through the streets anymore. And yeah, so no underworld figure ever would 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 decide things that way. No. And so you get this weird thing where like Cap using like fighting technique beats the crossbones, and then Kingpin, you know, basically right. outsmarts the the skull and beats him in hand-to-hand combat and then at the end like the last there's a weird page where they cap like is standing looking at kingpin he's like good job kind of like good job yeah we're gonna keep you know you may be a bad guy but we're keeping the drugs out of america <laughs> yeah People are gonna, if there's one thing you know about drug dealers is they will honor their agreements that's right will, uh, yeah you can uh, take them at their word combat hey will honorably dispose of their billions of dollars and Drugs that's now. right hey the kingpin's a villain but he's an american first right. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though he kept calling the skull like he's like i don't deal with nazis but it, it was interesting it was it, just everything that went into it was just uh i'd be curious to be a fly on the wall in the writer's room for this one it, it was really fascinating that sounds amazing it was, yeah it i mean it was i will say you know it was um 
it was prime like you know night late 80s marvel comics the action was was like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It fulfilled all of my childhood needs, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. So, uh, yeah, why don't you uh, why don't you let me take this thing home? Okay, definitely. Let's, all right, uh, let's call it. All right. So, Tiger Cubs, all you got to do if you want to get the home, if you want to get to the home of Blue Tiger Podcast Revenge, Blue Tiger Revenge Podcast, you just need to go to bluetigerrevenge.substack.com. That's the home of uh of where we're at that's where you'll find all of our episodes god damn it uh i'm gonna edit this out but uh yeah last god i can't talk tad you you take us home okay uh mark <laughs> thanks for coming on the show was, again yes, uh good god real quick uh throw down your plugs yes please find you what do you got coming out uh, I'm on Twitter. If anyone wants to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Manrus, M-A-N-R-U-S-S. And I mentioned earlier, I got like a, another season of Billionaire Island coming out. I also have another season of Second Coming on the way. And a new series with AWA called Rumpus Room, which I don't think has been announced yet. But I guess now. Now it has. Now has been announced. Uh, but it is about uh, a, a billionaire who locks people in his rumpus room. So you can turn them into the world's greatest skin cream. Uh, <laughs> oh, my so God. That comes out at some point. Uh, oh, my God. So, yeah, so a lot of things. Plus, you know, uh, book two of uh, Superman Space Age, which comes out, I think, in a, like next and, month. And what was the Mars book called again? Traveling to Mars. And that Traveling comes to Mars. November. Awesome. November. Okay. Has that, uh, is there any previews uh, available for that at all? Uh, yeah, uh, the uh, Arancia slash Ablaze, I think, just released like the first four or five pages of the first issue. They're okay, cool. floating around. Awesome. All right. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. Perfect. Um, well, thank you then, so uh, much for coming on, man. We really yeah. appreciated it. Hey, my pleasure. Yeah, this was great. I mean, it's always great talking with you. Yeah. Uh, I always look forward to it. I always feel like uh, like I got to be uh, bring my A game. You're, you're sharp at least, cookie, at least one of us did. <laughs> at least one of us did today. So, <laughs> Mark, I'll see you at Rose City. Uh, looking yeah, forward to seeing good. you there. Um, I do have one last thing. One last thing. Mark, uh, what book would you recommend if somebody wanted to get into, like, the Cold War um, and, like, learn about any of this kind of stuff we were talking about today? Do you have any recommendations for they could start? Oh wow, that's a great um, question. You know what? I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna saddle you with a book. Uh, I think oh. if you do Dan Carlin's Hardcore History podcast, nice. on like Adams for Peace and the yeah, uh, the, the, I think that that's a great place to start. Man, I'm I'm so glad you mentioned Dan. Car- I I I I when he first came out with Wrath of the Cons, that's when I yeah. jumped in there, and that's I when like, I got on board too. It was a great yeah. And it's just it's my favorite podcast now. Hardcore History. yeah. Yeah, he if I would have known history could be that fascinating as a kid or that entertaining just because he breaks it down in a way where it's like it's like having somebody explain to you. You really get the like intensity of how crazy those times were, especially yeah. like Wrath of Khans or any yeah. of the others. I mean, it's just oh man, like I just I just finished the World War One. I. I can't remember what he called it, um, but uh, I don't know. It was like I think something Armageddon. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he does a great cha- great job of sort of straddling this as like history. It's like the overall sort of arching uh, like details of history, but also making you feel like you are some what it would be like to be somebody living through it. Yeah, and he covers yeah. both really well. 
Yeah, it's just he. It's just not. It he doesn't. It's not dry. It's not boring. It's yeah. not like being in social studies and back in high school. You know, <laughs> very thoughtful. Yeah, cool. Uh, well, thank you. Then there you go, hardcore history, folks. Uh, Mark, thanks again for thank coming you. on the show. And I guess Bry's going to track you down at Rose City. And I am. Hopefully, good. we can get you on the show. You know, down the road for some of these other books you got coming out. Would love to. That'd be great. All cool. right. All right. Well, uh, if if that's all you have, Tad, uh, what time is it? Hit the music.